0: Howdy, welcome to Healthcare Ain't Easy, presented by Chris Matthew. I'm Chris Matthew. Today we have with us Spencer Smith. Spencer has has spent his entire 15 year career in the insurance industry with the last decade focused on self-insurance. From various financial analyst roles to stop-loss sales, benefits RFP software sales, and now joining Pareto Health as an SVP of consultant development, Spencer has a diverse perspective on all things self-funding. We're going to get into that. He is known in the industry, in the benefits industry, for his YouTube whiteboard series called Stop Loss with Spencer, his video podcast called Self-Funded with Spencer, and his creation and portrayal of the satirical character Tom Broker, who is hilarious. (laughs) His overall active presence on LinkedIn, you can find him everywhere on LinkedIn. On a personal basis, Spencer enjoys going to the gym, attending the occasional heavy metal concert, driving real fast in his Roush Mustang, and most of all, spending time his free time with his wife of 13 years, Courtney, and his two children, Brooklyn and Sebastian. Spencer, thank you again for joining us and helping us kick off this 2024 year. So, <clears throat> direct primary care, not only uh, increases the amount of access you have to your physician, mm-hmm. and, you know, with, with us at Sniffle, we are very focused on continuity of care, yep. relationship of medicine between provider and patient, we think is really, really critical. Um, being able to have and spend more time with your provider is not only great for the patient, but I think it's absolutely really rewarding for the physician. Yep. And we've had physicians as, as guests on the show. And we have lots of great physician advisors uh, with Sniffle and they all share this commonality of they want to reach for this incredible goal of how do we find a way to bring joy back to medicine? Yeah, Because there's a lot of joy that's been taken out of medicine because of the fee for service. And it's not a physician's fault. It's not necessarily the hospital's exact fault, but the system is set up to be really inefficient. And to rob joy out of the process, mm-hmm. and to make it way o- overly confusing for sure. And right now, the fee for service is all that physicians think they have. I do hope mm-hmm. that DPC will really take off. I think that we're seeing that. I'm, I'm, and it could be because I'm now in this space. So you you start we to see to more see, of the these confirmation yeah.
1: bias. Yeah, I get it, but I think that confirmation bias is is warranted because I think it is there is a movement happening in healthcare right now,
0: and I think that's going to help all of us long term because mm-hmm. if Primary care is, is like, in particular, in, in my opinion, and, and I've been influenced and educated and informed by really much smarter people, primary care is significantly the lever that we can pull mm-hmm. that will dramatically change health outcomes here in this country. It's not needing more specialists across the board. It's needing more access to your primary care provider who can understand and have continuity of care with you, understand your benchmark of your health journey and knows what's what's up and down and, and can really be a guide for you in that healthcare process. Well, I heard
1: a doctor say he specializes in common conditions. So a, a primary care physician is a specialist in all these general things that has to do with your health. But how important is that as the entry point into the healthcare system? So with dr- direct primary care, A lot of them have text-based versions. A lot of them have virtual access, 24-hour access to a doctor. You know, those things don't get abused like you think they might. But hey, if I could text my doctor at 3 a.m. because my son is throwing up and we're worried about him and get some reassurance or get some direction, that is what you're paying for, right? Is that almost immediate access to a physician to get that guidance that you're looking for. So you remove a lot of the barriers to entry, you move a lot of the time it takes to get actually in front of your doctor only to have that limited amount of time with them. I just think there's very few downsides, although you did ask for some downsides. One thing that I think people need to have faith in is that there may not be a first year ROI. There may not obviously be, I saved money this first year because I went to a DPC model, especially because I've heard, I interviewed Dr. David Cameron not too long ago with Hint Connect. He said that what they often see is People go, oh my God, I can text my doctor now, or I can go and get an appointment the same day and sit for 45 minutes with my doctor. I need to go. I've been wanting to go to a doctor for seven years now and I just couldn't find the time or whatever. So what he says is there's an uptick in utilization usually in the first year as a result. The long-term curve, second and third and fourth, you start to actually uh, see the ROI financially plus the quality of life improvement for your employees and you're catching things earlier, which is where a lot of people miss it's not so much did I save money today, but did I catch somebody that was pre-diabetic and prevent them going down the path of becoming a full-blown diabetic right. and living a life as a diabetic right. after that.
0: L- the little things always can add up to become the big things. Mm-hmm. And if we can be more intentional and proactive on the front end with DPC, then we can, we can prevent those things. We can catch those things early on and give people tools um, that may not require medication or surgical you know, in, uh, interventions. Which, that's the dream. We should all hope for that. Do you practice DPC? Do you have a DPC? We doc? don't have.
1: So we don't have access. We have um, uh, one medical with okay. uh, Pareto Health. So it's a, okay. kind of a hybrid DPC. Yeah. There's a virtual component. There's still some fee for service, I believe, within that model. But yeah. they cover our membership for it. Uh, so it's better than I think. I won't say better than nothing, but it's a little bit better than the traditional fee-for-service yeah. model, but not quite a full-blown DPC. The the challenge with DPC, especially when you want a brick and mortar, is if your population of employees is spread across the United States, it's hard to find enough brick and mortar locations set up that, uh, that way yeah. to handle the three people that are in Dallas or the four people that are in Oklahoma. It really is better suited when you're talking brick and mortar to have a huge concentration of your population in one place.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Okay. Spencer, tell us a little bit about what, what's a victory that you've experienced in employee benefits that has held a, a special meaning for you?
1: Ooh, nice tricky one here. Um, victory. Well, so my, my favorite sales story, and I, I, wanted, I think it's a victory, I think from a mindset perspective, because we were talking about earlier how challenging it is to be in sales. I actually made a sale on New Year's Eve, uh, believe it or not. So it was a Saturday on New Year's Eve. Um, at like 5 o'clock. I've heard this story. I like this story. Yeah, but it was funny because I'm... My year basically wrapped up. I was like, no way the sale is going to come in. I get this like last minute panic brokers. Like if you get me these numbers, you, it's yours. I had to scramble to find an underwriter the day of, right? Somebody was actually working. There's a few back and forth revisions. And then we got it to where about five or 530 it had actually sold. Meanwhile, I'm ready waiting to go out to dinner with my wife for New Year's <laughs> Eve. She's getting ready and actually probably appreciating the fact that I'm not hounding her. Hey, we need to leave. So I not only did it get a sale, but it was on New Year's Eve. We get to ring in the new year with that. And I think it actually got me above a kicker financially as well by getting that last minute sale. But what it proved to me is that that, that you never know and you've always sort of got to be ready. I could have not opened my email that morning. I could have said, nah, we'll worry about it. It's too late. You can't get a 1-1 on 1231. Don't worry about that. And I just worked it. And working it happened to be probably my favorite sale that I've ever had because of the timing of that sale. Yeah.
0: you know, Having a solution architect mindset, I think is... One of the key ingredients, I think if you, were, I don't know this, I haven't conducted this study yet, but maybe maybe we'll do this together someday. Okay. Connect with lots of salespeople and find out who has a solution architect mindset. And when I when I say that, I mean, who is focused on not what is it I'm going to get out of this, but what solution is it or what service am I providing to this person to, in this scenario as a broker mm-hmm. who's trying to provide a service to a client who's trying to take care of all of their employees? That ripple effect you know, you going that extra mile, you made an impact on a lot of people's lives. Mm-hmm. You made an impact on a lot of people's, on that company's bottom line, their their business, the dollars and cents of their yeah, budget. Yeah,
1: and it, the, the, I'd say, unfortunate role of being a carrier rep, and you can appreciate this, and obviously we're kind of in this hybrid role, not quite carriers as Pareto, but I don't touch the employers anymore. Um, So I don't always get to hear, right? We're going through a channel of an insurance consultant. So like a guy like Chris Hamilton that was on here a couple weeks ago, he gets to see the direct impact with that employer and its employees and hear all those stories. They don't always trickle back up. What we have to do at our level is sort of have the faith, prove the big picture of it, and then collect those stories. The reps will get to collect those stories over time. Um, I I would say the one thing though from my career that I think has been around the, the question that you asked, as I, all the time I get, folks will message me out of the blue and say, your podcast, you know, helped me learn self-funding. It helped me get a job. Uh, you don't realize, I literally have had multiple people say, you don't realize how big of an impact, I don't even think you understand the impact you have on this industry. And so I get, I had a guy handwrite that to me the other day and send me like in a Christmas card. That is, I'm like, dude, I, incredible. so hearing that, that's where I get emotionally driven to go, all right, you're on this path, you're on the right path. So keep chugging along at that my job may be more broad speaking about this and sort of spreading the gospel of self-funding to as many people as will listen so that there's awareness and that the entry point to understand it's a little bit simpler. Maybe that's my, my big picture role uh, to play. But I, every time I hear that, I get a LinkedIn message like that, it, you know, it kind of gets me a little bit because Man, that's we all want to feel like we're doing something you know, important or doing yeah. something good
0: uh, for the world. We want to contribute to an improved world. Yeah. That's a big thing for me. Um so that's amazing that you get that and kudos to for, for that. Tell us about Tom Broker. <laughs> who is Tom Broker? And uh, I got, you know, and you may not be able to reveal all this but like who is he based upon? That's well so
1: Tom Broker is an amalgamation of all the worst practices in the insurance industry. Uh we we haven't really touched on incentives yet. Um But I'm a big believer that the incentives drive the behavior, you know, fee-for-service incentives set up, that system is set up to drive a certain outcome. So it's not necessarily the people that are uh, inherently bad, it's the people that are responding and taking advantages of the incentives that are set up that drive that behavior. So Tom Broker is really an amalgamation of that, sprinkle in a little bit of, uh, what's his name, Steve Carell from The Office, Uh, that that happy-go-lucky, really dumb, self-interested sort of boss. He's that in a broker skin. Yeah. yeah, And it's a, uh, people think it's based on somebody specific. I think it's based on you hear in passing a story about so-and-so did this, or can you believe that people used to do right. this? And it's just collecting those stories and putting them into a persona. But then it's kind of fun because once you have established that this carrier is a dunce, and he does all the things you're not supposed to do, you can really have fun and exaggerate it a little bit. The idea is to use that satire to expose those behaviors and have people go, well, geez, I don't wanna act like that, or I don't wanna have an insurance consultant that acts like that, and maybe create awareness of, of those best practices or worst practices, I should say, uh, through, through humor.
0: I think that's brilliant. Um, it reminds me of uh, a character that I created a, a little over a decade ago. His name was John Russell. And he was named <laughs> after the two principals of an agency I used to work for. Okay. <laughs> and what he stood to represent was everything wrong in healthcare recruiting. Yeah. Everything wrong. I mean, and I, I took it to the extreme, but the great thing of, of how I acted him out, uh, and he was repulsive. I mean, he was the worst, yeah. but all of the uh, episodes that we shot and all the, the skits that we did were all based on true stories. Yeah. And when people would be like, well, that That wouldn't actually happen. I'm like, oh, actually, I won't tell you the hospital system and the person that it was, but 100%, that's a true story. Yeah, yeah. That exact situation took place. And people would think, that can't be happening in our industry. And I'm like, it's happening because you all keep allowing these bad business models and these bad contributors. you, You let them keep flourishing, and this keeps happening to you. I exposed some of that. Also, it was a lot of fun. We had a different path. We had a different model that we were trying to approach. Yeah. And people were like, that's not what we're used to. And I'm like, real quick, let me show you what it is you're used to. Yeah, I'm going to do it in a satirical way. I'm going to make it seem ridiculous that this would never actually happen. But these are real stories of physicians and hospitals getting taken advantage of across the country. This is this is reality. And what I'm trying to offer you is possibly something different.
1: Yeah, and just ask questions, right? Like After you get over that, no, no way my broker's like that. Maybe ask a few questions. You might go well. Even though that was an exaggeration and it was humorous, they're they're kind of doing that, right? And so these and the way compensation's built into insurance premiums, these broker bonuses, and all sorts of things that are hidden under the surface, which thankfully are coming to light of the CAA and things like that. But all I'm really sort of uh, wanting to plant my flag is is be be the opposite of what Tom brokers doing. The good way is to you know work with your employer come up with some sort of fee for my services or give me some sort of incentive. If I do even better than anticipated, You know, I might get a bonus. But if I decouple my compensation from the insurance carrier, I'm no longer benefiting from you getting a 20% increase next year and my comp goes up 20% as well. Right? They say, he whose bread I eat is whose song I sing. If you are getting paid by the insurance carrier, ultimately they're the ones that you're beholden to, not your employer. So when you start asking these questions, Then you start to dig down and see how far the rabbit hole goes. And so all I'm really trying to do is go, this is what I believe the industry should operate like. Don't do Tom Broker. Don't be Tom
0: Broker. Well, good job. Tom Broker is hilarious. Thank you. uh, Because he's insane. He's ridiculous. (laughs) Um,
1: He's all about the Benjamins, man. Yeah.
0: uh, My favorite line, I think, is um, an episode you did with Megan. And it was like, she mentions door-to-door sales. And you're like, "Uh, so we're going to sell doors. To other doors. To other doors.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Well, you get a chance to be as stupid too. I, I've always thought, you know, you know Chris Pratt in uh, Parks and Rec. Sure. Yeah. It actually takes, I think, a lot of intelligence to write dumb characters. And I've always been fascinated with the ability to play a dumb character because I think there's timing, there's subtext to a dumb line. Absolutely. And then on the surface, that oh, seems like dumb. But there's the second and third layer of that joke that I always found fascinating. So I actually try to write dumb lines because I'm like, I hope this actually comes
0: across yeah. as a smart joke in yeah. the end. Yeah. Um, Chris Pratt, great character. Michael Scott, uh, Steve yeah. Carell's character he, on The Office, I mean, was flawless yeah. with that. He was. yeah, R- Really good stuff there. Okay. Let me ask this. Yeah. Where do you see advanced tech and AI and employee benefits aligning?
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's already aligning right now. Obviously I know quite a bit about Sniffle, so um, we can talk about that. But I think broader than that, using large language models and using intelligence to mine for information. I mean, I talked to a guy the other day about using large language models to train your software to listen or, um, you know, transcribe sales calls and then take that data and glean insights and put it into the CRM and create action items as a result where the salesperson wouldn't have to log all those things afterwards. And so I think the sky's the limit. Symptom diagnosis is a great example with you at Sniffle. Um, Taking maybe a... A little bit more of a tedious step off a physician's plate and leveraging AI to do a lot of that legwork as a precursor for the the actual meeting with the doctor. I think that's brilliant. Yeah. I think applications like that are going to proliferate. I, I don't even know if we know quite just yet everything, like how it's going to permeate our industry. And it's not just us. It's not just healthcare. It's everything. So I'm trying to figure out what I can use, how I can leverage it to be more productive and things like that. But I, I don't think I fully know just yet. I'm sure you have more insights than I do too, Chris.
0: I think the, you know, the assessment um, opportunity that AI can give people. Um, there was a, an article that just came out. There's a woman in uh, r- very rural Alaska. Okay. She's sitting in a, in a cabin. She, her, half her, fa- her face is numb. The other half feels wet, but it's not wet. And she's going through a Google and it, it, she's not finding anything. She then used ChatGPT. And it comes back that she might have MS. Obviously it has this disclaimer, hey, we're not a doctor, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But it gave her a starting point to say, MS, I need to learn more about MS. And she started going down that path. Then she went and saw her physician and said, hey, can we test for MS? And now suddenly she understood that unfortunately this she, woman, did. she oh. does have MS. That process, the catalyst for that was her ability to reach out to a large language model mm-hmm that was able to take lots of information and synthesize it down. And I think that should be celebrated. I think that what what Sniffle's doing on the intake side for physicians um, with patient uh, insurance eligibility being done, payment verification done, uh, HIPAA and informed consent documents completed and signed in the app, and then that patient coming to that appointment with a 95% accurate assessment of what's going on with them. That's huge for a Mm -hmm. physician and a patient. And mm-hmm. so I, I, we're obviously very excited and very biased about AI, but I think that it has the opportunity to contribute a lot to us. It's not to replace us. No, nope. It's a tool to come alongside us and help us do more with less. Well, think about
1: empowering a step before that, right? So a lot of people do wearables, they wear whoops or things like that that monitor everything from sleep right. to heart rate to blood pressure, et cetera. So now stack that on with wearables that's being fed into an aggregated database and then was looking for patterns or looking for, oh, you look like your A1C is high and also you didn't get enough sleep and also your blood pressure is high, might wanna reach out to a doctor and have a proactive that's right. suggestion, right? So like all of a sudden we have our doctor on our arm or on, on our cell phone that's monitoring us almost uh, very regularly to make sure we are optimizing our health. And I look at it as two different ways. One, I want to make sure I don't get really sick or also I want to fine tune, like we said, is a constant battle, yeah. fine tuning aspects of my life to ensure a longevity, but also the highest quality of my life as well. I think, again, I don't think we even know how much it'll be pervasive in our lives in the next five to 10 years. The big thing, of course, is just directing and making sure it's being used for good.
0: Yeah. Are you uh, using AI in your personal life? In- um, I So
1: I was using ChatGPT for a time. We did, a, unfortunately, I think a lot of companies are doing this now, um, have to sign uh, basically a form that said we will not put company data in ChatGPT. I think that's a big concern for yeah. companies right now, and I think it's warranted, right? Like you don't want proprietary information ending up in, sure. in there. Um, but Nathaniel, my podcast producer, is using it for things like you know, script creation, coming up with templates. I think the thing that I'm really conscientious of is that if you lose the, I'm worried about losing the humanity when it comes to creativity, right? Like you can help it build frameworks. It can come up with titles. It can come up with a structure, but in between the lines, I still want it to be me. And so I'm very conscientious of owning every step of the content that I put out. And I think you can tell, I think there might be uh, Chris, and I, I'd love your opinion on this. You you can tell when there's AI generated content right now because it's not quite there to be fully convincing just yet. And I wonder if there'll be a, a bifurcation of people that are willing to go all the way down that path, or there's going to be this huge uptick in demand for authentic human interaction and face-to-face and all that good stuff. What do you, what do you think?
0: I think that, <clears throat> I don't think it's an either or, I think it's both. It's an and. Okay. I think it's an, a yes and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here's why I think that. I think that AI is still very early and it's still learning. And I'm a person that I'm all about curation. I think that if things are really curated to me, I I don't mind that my phone is going to deliver particular ads to me because my phone knows what I'm into Mm -hmm. and what I'm not. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm okay with that. I want that curation. I think AI is going to be able to do the same thing. It's going to take and hear and listen. How I speak is different than how you speak. What I'm a fan of is different maybe than what you're a fan of. And If it can mold that and then put that into my authentic voice, it can help me do more with less. I would love to be able to do, to reach out and be of service to more people in my everyday life. I have limitations, Mm -hmm. but if I could have AI purposed for me and use that purposed AI to help me accomplish more, I'm here for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Do I think we have a ways to go for that? I do. Yeah. But it is a process and it's an iterative process. And as long as we can remain open to that, then I think these solutions can be really powerful for us. Yeah. In our last episode, uh, I shared uh, my New Year's resolution, which is to give a fresh look to old problems okay. and uh, to be open to solutions, both big and small. Not everything has to change the world. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it can be just about don't eat for 12 hours and let's <laughs> yeah. see what that what yeah. that does for you. Um, so my question to you is, so that's a commitment I've made for myself and my, our team at Sniffle, we talk about this. How do you start with, when you look at a, a fresh approach to old problems, what's that process like for you? Well, so I think
1: I can apply it to the way I'm, uh, the vantage point I'm taking for 2024. I think the big focus is operational efficiency for, for me, because I'm in this weird space you're kind of in as well. You're you're running a company, or running sales for a company, right? Um, a startup. I'm, full-time employed by Pareto Health, but also I have this podcast that I'm very well known for, and it takes up quite a bit of time uh, throughout the week in my own free time and all that stuff. So operational efficiency for me is the big thing. How do I take all the things I love to do, get to operate in my zone of genius as much as I possibly can, and then what can I outsource to somebody else um, so that therefore they're either better at it than me, or at least they're doing some of the legwork that I know if I had to do all of it, it would take me away from the creative part that I really love. And so I think about it that way. I'm I'm in this space where I'm doing something that I don't know has quite been done in the insurance business, right? Like trying to make a podcast about self-insurance cool. Um, and so I look at that, like, how do you apply a fresh approach to a new problem? I'm taking the things that Gary Vee has talked about and Alex Harmozy and all these guys that are doing this in this sort of public setting. And I'm looking at it and go, how can I apply that towards awareness of this thing called self-insurance and awareness of this thing called Pareto Health? How can we deploy the same tactics and skills around content to an insurance uh, industry that has typically been viewed as old, pale, male, and stale and boring and all that stuff? I want to actually not say, hey, let's convince you it's cool. Let's actually shine a light on it and show you. That it actually is pretty cool. And yeah. here's why. And I'm genuinely passionate about doing that. So I think taking that and turning that into, I think I can do this here in a world that on paper you would say, no, you can't. You can't make insurance cool. I think you can. And I'm desperately trying to,
0: to do that. I think you are doing it right now. And I applaud that. Um, I think focusing on niches and, and mm-hmm. have- taking solutions and then finding a way to really channel it into a niche. The the ability to go deep exists, mm-hmm. right? And if you're trying to be all things to all people, you can't you can't serve all people. But I think what you are doing, you are being of great service to the people in the insurance industry, uh, for employers and consultants and, and brokers across the country. So thank you, man. It's it's awesome. Um, where can people find you and learn more about you and Pareto Health?
1: Okay. So uh, you mentioned LinkedIn a couple of times. I'll say, you know, if you want to go to LinkedIn, I'm uh, Spencer Smith and I have CSFS after my name. That's an acronym for certified self-funded specialist. We have a website, Self with It's not quite built out yet, but you can find me on YouTube, Spotify, Apple. Self funded with Spencer. Just Google it. I'll be the first one that that pops up, uh, whether you like it or not. Um, but I just think um, if if you if you need to find me, probably LinkedIn is the easiest way, and I, I usually am readily available there.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Final question. Chris Shembro, Wall Street Journal best selling author. Chris, hello. Happy New Year. Uh, you're gonna have an amazing year this year. I feel it. <laughs> he wrote uh, several books, but one of the books is uh, has this great question. And the question is, if you could give credit or thanks to one person in your life or multiple people mm-hmm. okay. that you don't give enough credit or thanks to, okay. who would that be? How many people said their wife,
1: Chris? A lot of people have chosen their spouses <laughs> for good reason, too. Yeah, sure. for, I th- for good reason, right? That's I think any married man uh, that's worth the salt is going to say probably his wife and for very good reason, and I, I would echo that as well. Um, my wife keeps everything in order, right? She allows me to go out and do these things, and she stays at home. She watches our kids. She keeps everything structured and from clean to, hey, we need to be here at this time on Saturday. Don't forget to do this. Um, she effectively manages the household and she loves it. But also, I don't think I give her enough credit for that, quite frankly. And so I want to do that. Um, the other person I would say is, I I, I think I'd say my dad, honestly. Um, he set forth the example of what I envisioned a man was supposed to be like the things that a man is supposed to do, you know, everything from work ethic to providing for a family to be willing to do really hard and dirty jobs, which he did basically his whole life, not because he wasn't intelligent, but because that's what he had to do and was willing to do to uh, provide for the family. I think seeing that and seeing the sacrifices he made for his kids and his wife um, that aren't, weren't always warranted or not warranted, but weren't always rewarded and thanked for like it showed me this is the example of what you're supposed to be and i think i've tried to subconsciously or consciously emulate that pretty much every single day
0: that's tremendous um i can resonate with that entirely i was born in dallas my parents are immigrants here from south india then my parents moved us to plano because schools were good Mm -hmm. back then they still are today i don't know why i said it that way but (laughs) my dad was a toxicologist at bumsey baylor downtown and he left the house every every day. He left before 6 a.m. because he needed to beat traffic. Mm-hmm. And he would do that and he would race home because he never missed any practices. Mm-hmm. He was at every game and every practice for all of my brothers and I. And I just used to think, I watched this, and then as I got a little older, probably in my high school years, I'd, Dad, what do you what do you actually do? You know, I started asking questions around. And my dad did not enjoy what he did. There was no joy in it. Yeah. What it did do is provide for our family. Yep. What it did do is allow us to live in Plano and go to get these great educations that we got and um, allowed us to travel back to India to see uh, our family and have and maintain that connection and relationship. But here's a man who spent his entire career till he retired, performing a job every single day, not finding joy in, in, in that purpose. Mm-hmm. I've used that as fuel for me to say, I want to find joy in my mm-hmm. job. And I think they don't have to be mutually exclusive, that you can do what you're doing, have passion for it and have great impact, but still be doing it to make a great, uh, to be of service to others. My dad was of service to others as well, but not necessarily, it wasn't rewarding for him.
1: But I think what you and I hopefully are both doing is the baton is, pa- my dad's still alive, but the baton is passed to say, I did these things for decades with the primary intention of creating a better life for my kids. So I feel it's an obligation to say, 100%. you did that for me, I have to go maximize right. everything because all the opportunity that's been presented to me, if I were to squander it, what a disservice uh, to my father.
0: Uh, we feel that same way, my brothers and I, we've got, uh, I would say, I'll, sp- for, I'll speak for myself, there's a, a sense of duty and an obligation. Mm-hmm. My dad, sac- My parents, both my mom and dad, sacrificed everything to come here to chase this American dream. Mm-hmm. All their siblings are still back in India. All my cousins are still there. They didn't get these opportunities. So I cannot allow that just to be completely wasted away. Yeah, We have an obligation to achieve and to do things, to be of service to others here and um, for our family name and legacy back home. So I think that's powerful. And my hope is that for Brooklyn and Bash, they see you doing this and that they're going to feel that same way. I hope so. I don't know if I – well, I, I know this. There's no chance I can take the step forward that my parents did for us. I can't. I can't create what they did for us. Sure. It was. It is monumental what they achieved for us. I'm gonna. I'm gonna do everything I can. My hope is that our boys will see that and say we'll take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, at least that's what every parent I think that's hopes what every for.
1: Every parent's hopes. Yeah. Absolutely, man.
0: Well, I'm very grateful for your time. You you had another video and and post of uh, showing personal and professional together, yeah. and I think that that's really powerful. I think you are exceptional at doing that to show you. who you are and what you believe in and what you're passionate about and where your passion also comes from with your family and how you allow all of that to be connected to your professional world. I think it's tremendous. Thank you. It's a real honor to know you and to call your friend. And I'm excited to get to know you better.
1: Likewise, man. Well, I can't wait to turn the tables in a couple of weeks and have you on my podcast. I'm looking forward Chris. to it. Awesome.
0: Thank, Thank you. you so much. This is Healthcare Ain't Easy. Healthcare ain't easy, but with people like Spencer, with the good work that he and Pareto Health are doing out there to make incredible impact, healthcare can become easier when we all collaborate and connect together. Thanks for your time. We'll talk to you soon.